0: Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Bacchus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. This message I've entitled, The Greatest Commandment. Amen? The Greatest Commandment. Uh, For the past several weeks, I know that we've been studying uh, kind of about the end times, and we've been discussing you know, kind of where we're at in, in, our, in this season with the Lord and, and the return of the Lord, most, first and foremost. But tonight, it was to no surprise that, you know, uh, some of the songs that were chosen were in line with what I believe the Holy Spirit is reminding us of. Amen? How many of you know that the Lord has called us to love Him with an everlasting love? Amen? Amen. He loves us this way, but we are called also to love Him back. Amen. We are called by the Lord to give him of all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our being. Amen. And so for the next few weeks, I want to share with you from the word of God about what Jesus described as. Jesus described it this this way as what all of the law and what all of the prophets, this one commandment, it, it, it hangs upon all of these things. Or rather, all of those things hang upon this one commandment. We've learned in Scripture, we know what the Scripture has to say, and we know what Scripture teaches us. But this means that every teaching, every letter of the law that was given, every prophecy that was spoken from the mouth of the prophets is fulfilled by living out what Jesus called the greatest commandment. Amen? And I want us to get your Bible open and, and turn to the book of Mark and we're going to be in chapter 12, but I'm going to kind of just set this up for you tonight. In Mark chapter 12, there's this interesting dialogue and conversation that happens between Jesus and some of the Jewish, uh, Jewish uh, religious leaders. Amen? And there's lots of times where Jesus is sitting down and he's having conversations with the religious leaders of the day. These, these were the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, and Jesus is sitting down and he's having a conversation with them and it came about as a result of a parable that he had taught about, about a vineyard owner. And so in Mark 12, we see in the beginning chapter, you know, the beginning verses of that chapter rather, that there was a vineyard that was planted. And and I I won't, you know, I'm just going to kind of give you the, the background of this, but there was a vineyard that was planted and there was a wine press that was dug and there was an investment made by the owner. This parable that Jesus is sharing with these Jewish leaders and scribes, he's describing these things to them. He said, this vineyard was later rented out to some farmers. And when the harvest time came, the owner sent his servant to collect some fruit from the first harvest. And the farmers, they came and they beat up the man and they sent the man away. And it says the owner sent another to collect and the same thing happened. So Jesus is telling this parable. He's sending these, these you know, there's this owner of this, this vineyard, this land. And the landowner is doing what every responsible landowner is supposed to do. And he's collecting his rent. And each person, each servant that he sends out to collect the rent gets beaten, gets tortured, gets mauled. And so the owner keeps sending, you know, person after person, servant after servant. And so the owner persisted to get what belonged To him. And like any one of us, you know, if you were, you know, uh, renting something out, you would be persistent to get what you have asked in return. Amen. How many of you would do that? If you rented out your house to somebody and you rented out for a few thousand dollars a month, you would expect to get a few thousand dollars a month when you come to collect the rent. Amen. So the owner persists. To get what belongs to him. And even then the farmers went as far as killing his servants. So finally the owner sent his son. Now surely this would change everything because this was his beloved son. It wasn't just any son. It was his beloved son. He sent his son believing and thinking and hoping that if he sent his son somebody that was Close to him, these people that were renting from him, they would understand this and they would be merciful and they would take gift to the son what is owed to the son. But guess what? They killed him too. And Jesus clearly connects this parable. He's he's connecting everything to himself. I don't know if you knew this, but every letter of the word of God is about Jesus. Amen. It all points to Jesus. You might say, oh, well, Pastor Duke, you know, but, but some of it talks about other things. Yes, but it's always about Jesus. Everything that is written, everything that's been said, everything that has been taught is about Jesus. And so he connects the parable to himself and he quotes from Psalms chapter 118 and verse 22. And he says this, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He's telling the religious leaders that are st- sitting in front of him, they're looking at him. He shares this parable because he knew that they would understand this parable and he knew that they knew that where this parable came from in the word. But what they were missing and the point that they were missing was who was sitting in front of them. Amen. How many of you know that every time we, we come to the house of God, every time we open the word, every time we sit down to pray, every time we sit down to communion with God, how many of us know who's really in front of us? You see, sometimes we pray like Jesus is just, you know, far away and he's distant and he's, he's unable to hear the, the cries of your heart. Sometimes we, we open the word and we act like the Lord is not present there and we, we, we misconstrue something. And that is that we miss who's sitting in front of us. Did you know, church, that no matter where you go, there is a table present before you to commune with the Lord? No matter what you are going through, no matter how great or how bad your day has been, there is always a table that is set before you to sit down face to face with the Lord. To commune with the Lord, to talk with the Lord, to hear from the Lord, to receive from the Lord. These religious leaders, they understood that Jesus was comparing them to the unrighteous and to the rebellious landowners. They realized all of a sudden that that Jesus, when he was sharing this parable, it wasn't just any story. It actually had them in mind. It was actually about them. It was directed towards them. And anyone who thinks that they would have chosen not to send Jesus to the cross is deceived. I want us to understand something tonight and I want us to look deep into our hearts and understand this very thing. When scripture talks about the religious leaders, when scripture talks about the scribes, when Scripture talks about the proud and the haughty, when Scripture talks about those who were once far away from God, when Scripture talks about all those things, it's actually talking about us. Amen. If you think it was only directed at those people for that time and in that day, you're severely wrong. Because if you actually believe that to be fact and you believe that to be true, then you would have nothing to repent of. Because your sins and all these things would just be on those people. But the reason I bring this up is because many people think, you know what? I would have never been the one. I love Jesus. You know, I have an affection for Jesus in my heart. I belong to Jesus. I would have never done anything to hurt the heart of God. But yet it was us that hurt the heart of God. It was you and me, church, that he went to the cross for. It was our sins. It was our judgment of one another. It was our unforgiveness towards one another. It was our wickedness in our hearts. It was all of these things. And I think that many times we like to think that because we received Christ now, that we wouldn't have rejected Jesus then. But that's not the truth. How many of you are born again in, the, in this house tonight? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You see, we like to believe that sometimes, you know, oh, I've got Jesus in my heart now. I would have never rejected him then, but that's not true because our sinful nature, something we must understand is our sinful nature would have not allowed us to do so. You see, the man that is controlled by sin, the man that is dominated by sin lives in sin. Amen? And Jesus, when we came to him, and we've come to the redeeming grace that he offered us and the gift of salvation that he poured out for our life, he is able to transform us by being born again in the spirit. So that we no longer live to gratify our flesh in this sinful nature, but we live now to walk in the spirit with the Lord. Amen. So the religious leaders, they went away. And they know that Jesus is talking about them and they know that what he is saying has has come as almost like this personal attack. And they know they're the one that's guilty. They know that it's them that's rejected God. They know that it's them that has forsaken this one that has come to give their, his life for them. They know that they're the ones that are rejecting the Messiah in this time in their heart and in their life. And so they tried to regroup and they tried to trap Jesus by coming up with some more questions. So they're thinking in their heart, what can we say? So the next question is this. They pose a question about the loyalty to Caesar versus the loyalty to God in Matthew 12 and verse 14. And you can read it on your own time. And then they pose another question. The second question focused on eternal life or life after death. And Jesus in this moment, he answers both questions in ways that exposed their deceptive hearts. In a way that exposed something that was inside of their heart and inside of their life. And so finally, one scribe recognized that Jesus couldn't be tricked. They recognize in this moment they, they, they can't pin him down. They're trying to pin him down. They're trying to get him to say something that doesn't line up with the word. They're trying to catch him in the act per se. They're trying to find something to incriminate Jesus So instead he says, you know what, I'm going to ask a genuine and true and sincere question. And the question that he asked was this. He wanted to know what commandment was the first and the most important of all. Which commandment would be the one that is the most important of all of the commandments? And so to answer this, Jesus quotes from two Old Testament passages Found in Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. And he says this, and, and if you're in Mark chapter 12, let's look at verse 29. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And he goes on to say in verse 31, And the second, which is the greatest commandment, is this. To love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Nothing higher than those. Let's pray for the word tonight. Lord Jesus, we just thank you. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would speak, Lord, just powerfully to our hearts tonight, Lord. And Holy Spirit, we just give you this this time to teach us, to speak to our hearts and to reveal your truth to us, Father. And I pray before the night's over, God, that we would have encountered your spirit, your presence, Lord, through your holy word, God. And most of all, Father, I pray that we would experience the power of your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Jesus, he opens up by saying... To his chosen people. Jesus is talking to his chosen. Did you know that? See, the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law, they, they were Israelites, they were Jews. He's talking to his chosen ones. He's talking to the ones to whom God had given himself first to. This nation that was to be set apart, that was to be called a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. It was the very ones that God had first given himself to. These were the Jewish people. We're Gentiles, amen? I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm not Jewish. (laughs) I am cafe con leche, as I like to say. I'm a little Hispanic and a little white. But I'm not Jewish. Jewish. I'm a Gentile I've been grafted in because of the blood of Jesus you've been grafted in through the blood of Jesus but guess what the first ones the first ones that the Lord had given himself was to was to these people and Jesus goes on to say the Lord our God the Lord is one. Now, I believe he addresses them in this manner, not only to further prove that he is God, the father and the son and the spirit and that God is all of those beings. But this meant also that Jesus was saying he was proclaiming what he was proclaiming rather was directly from God. So as he's speaking to them, he's speaking on behalf of God. Amen. Because he is God. Or in other words, when he goes on to say, the Lord our God is is God is one Lord. He says, if you're looking at me, you're seeing him. If you're hearing me, you're hearing him. So the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is our God. He's saying to these people that are sitting right in front of him, I am he. I am he, but also he's pointing out something that I believe is important as well and that there is no and should be no division in our heart and in our life. What does this mean? That means that tonight, you know, we're, we're learning about Jesus and we're learning about the love of God. But here's the deal. The Lord is looking for people that have no division or they have an undivided heart that loves him. You see, for those of us that are that are married, and those of us that are, you know, in a relationship with our with a covenant spouse, you can have a divided heart and still be married. And all the married people said, "Amen." Help me out here, please. Jeez, <laughs> just because your spouse might not be sitting next to you, you, better you better agree with what I'm saying. Why? Because you solely gave yourself to that person. And if you have a divided heart, then all of a sudden there is a covenant that is broken. There is a fracture in the foundation of that relationship that will never last. Jesus is looking for people in this day and in this hour that have an undivided heart towards him. That means that every part of their being is all in. Amen? And it starts first with their heart. From our heart to our soul, our words to our actions, and from our whole being, it must belong to the Lord. You see, only a loving God who loves us unconditionally could command from his creation to love him back. Amen? Only a God that loves you in the most beautiful, most most awesome way. Did you know that the love of God is endless? Like, think about that just for a second. Everything that you know and experience in this world is temporal. It doesn't last, right? We're mortal. We're finite beings. We don't last here on earth. We, we don't last forever. The words that we say don't last. They, they fall to the ground and die. But the word of God, the, what God has said concerning your life, how the Lord thinks of us, and the love that the Lord pours out upon our life, it's everlasting, it will outlast the, 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 this world. It will outlast the, the, the test of time because the Lord is everlasting. He's eternal. And so what he offers us is always available. Amen. The love that the Lord has for your life is always available at all times. And so this audience that Jesus is, is speaking to, they were the ones that rejected him. They were the ones that rejected God. For centuries, if you remember about the Israelites, for centuries, they were the ones that had forsaken God. See, God never forsook them. Amen? He never had forsaken them, but for centuries, they had forsaken the one true God. They built idols to replace their God. When when Moses went up to Mount Sinai, they, they had a great idea to build a golden calf. Said, let's worship that. They found themselves going from from, idol worship to idolatry to to giving themselves to pagan gods even at times because they were too impatient to, to love this God that wholly loved them. They wanted things on their time. They wanted things on their demand. They wanted things in a certain way and so they did things by their own merits and by their own way. Scripture talks about the Israelites and talks about the people of God that had become as an adulterous woman who cheated on her husband in the eyes of God. They had forsaken their first love. They had forsaken the one who had given everything to them. They had built towers to reach God and then they complained of what God did or didn't do. Jesus is talking to these people. And the only route for them back to fulfilling what God wanted for them, to answer their question, the only way, the only way that they could do anything that would be somehow pleasing to God, it wasn't from perfection through action like they thought it was. You see, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they were really good at at setting up all kinds of legalities and rules and laws and things to get people to have to jump through hoop after hoop after hoop to get to God. But when Jesus came, he tears all of these things down. He tears all of these things down because the cross became the access point to which we would access God. It would no longer be through priests. It would no longer be through the sacrifice of animals. But it would only be through Jesus. And so here we find these people. It wasn't going to be from perfection through action. It wasn't based on performance or skill. It wasn't able to be attained through efforts, striving, positions, titles, power, or outward appearance. But it was actually the opposite of doing for ourselves. It was the opposite of measuring up to a divine standard on our own. You see, in our carnal minds, we're so quick to try to please a perfect and holy God through what we think impresses him when all along he just never wanted us to kill his son. When all along the sacrifice he offered was that we would love him and not kill him. That we would bow down and worship him and not try to drive nails through his hands. That the gift that he was giving us, church, would be the best thing that we could ever, ever attain in this life and in this world. But more than that, he wanted us to love his son. He never wanted us to reject what was most precious to him. His perfect, sinless son, Jesus Christ. But see, that's what our sin and our cruelty and the hardness of heart, that's what it does towards God's beloved son. This is what happens when we reject unconditional love. It causes us to run from what's been running towards us all along, and that is the love of God. That is the very love of God. Ever since you and I were born, church, ever since you came into this world, two things have been at play in your life. Number one, the enemy's plan to destroy you, and number two, God's plan to rescue you. These two things have been in place since you've been in existence. God's plan to rescue you, to redeem you, to bring you into right relationship with him, and the enemy's plan to destroy your life. And many times, church, our broken souls reach for everything except for the one we were created to love. Many times, everything that we grasp for in this world and in this lifetime is for everything except for the one that we were designed to love. What do I mean by this? That means that it's man's frail attempt to reach for love sometimes. And when we reach out for love, because this is the very thing that makes all of us tick. It's the very thing that that causes people to fulfill their destiny and fulfill their purpose. And it's the very thing that, that causes people to run away from their purpose and their destiny, which is an encounter with the love of God. But oftentimes it's a man's frail attempt to reach for love sometimes because it might produce a gentleness. It might produce a faithfulness in their life. But most of the time it will manifest in resentment in selfishness, in arrogance, in ignorance, in violence, in revenge, and in murder. So what do you mean, Pastor Duke? What does this mean? It means that our attempts at reaching love, which is actually an attempt to try to reach for God, often results in the resentment of man. And do you want to know why it results in resentment? Do you want to know why it results in frustration for many people? It's because people become bitter when their way to God doesn't work. I'll say that again. People get angry and get tired and get frustrated when their way to reach God does not work. When they tried to, you know, create that tower of Babel, when they tried to create graven images, when they tried to find peace in their in their finances and in their providence and their sustenance, all of those things became a failed and short attempt to reach God and it always results in resentment. It always results in bitterness. This is why you can see the famous actors and actresses and, and, you know, athletes and, and people of high status or popularity in our world put guns to their heads and pills down their throats and kill themselves year after year after year. Because the thing that they thought would get them high and mighty actually let them down because the only way we'll find satisfaction for our soul is through Jesus Christ. Everything outside of that is a failed attempt to reach God. People become angry when their way to love is never fulfilling because it's outside of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of bitter people in this world, amen? There's a lot of angry people in this world. There's a lot of confused people in this world. And it's all because They're living outside of Jesus. They're failing to see that there's only one way to true, perfect, and unconditional love, and it's through Jesus. I heard this read one time, and it said most of our vices are attempted shortcuts to love. Most of the vices that people have in their life are attempted shortcuts to love. For the alcoholic that puts the bottle to his lips week in and week out, it's because he had longed to be loved by his mom or his dad or somebody significant in his life, but they rejected him or they they weren't there for him or they fell away from him. And what happens is this lifestyle of pain continues because he wants something that he won't get from those people. It's an attempted shortcut to love the same for the drug addict it's the same for the person that sleeps around it's the same for so many people it's the same for every single one of us in here tonight anything that we choose and anything that we we give ourselves to and we give ourselves over to if it's not jesus it's always inferior If you give yourself to the dedication of of becoming successful at your career, it will leave you empty and hopeless. You may have a lot of plaques on the wall, but at the end of the day, if he does not know your name, and your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, then listen to me, friends. You are sadly, sadly giving yourself to something way more inferior. If we give ourselves to our academics or our education, all these things that we love in life that are profitable and seem good to us. But if they are always in first place over loving Jesus, they are inferior and will leave us bound and hopeless. Listen to what I'm telling you tonight. Listen to what the Lord is trying to get inside of our hearts tonight. Most vices are attempted shortcuts to love. You see, I see a lot of people that would do anything for their job, but would do very little for the one that loves their soul. That's the world that we're living in. I see a lot of people that are willing to do so much for their family. They'll go, you know, they'll spend every dollar to take their family to Disneyland or across the world. And and that seems like a really nice thing. And hopefully it's going to put a nice picture on the wall one day. But at the end of the day, my friend, giving all of yourself to that and giving nothing to the poor. See, we're supposed to give all of ourselves to the one who gave all of himself for us. We're supposed to give everything in our being to the one who has given everything to us. Like I said, this is why people turn to all of these things in life, hoping to attain love. We give ourselves a lot of times to a lot of things that are inferior instead of giving ourselves to the one who is supreme and superior overall. And His name is Jesus. Everything that is inferior. And isn't a relationship with Jesus. Leaves us falling short of the glory of God. You see to love God outside of knowing him personally is an impossible task. I'll repeat that for you tonight. To love God outside of knowing him personally is an impossible task. Dare I say that there's somebody listening to the sound of my voice tonight that was once deeply in love with God, but now you're just like an old married couple. What do they say about old married couples? Oh, well, they just exist together. They just, you know, they're, they're still together, you know. They, they, they might sleep in the same room or in the same bed, you know. They, they exist together, but the, the flame has died out. what was once burning bright and passionately, what was once this, this love that would, would go to the ends of the earth for one another has is, is, is faded, it's kind of dwindled off, it's no longer the same flame that they once had for each other. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 says this, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. He goes on to say in verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19 says this. We love because what? He first loves us. Read it one more time. We love because he first loved us. You see, without personally knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you do not have the ability to love God back. This is what the scripture is teaching us. And if the greatest command is to love him with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, then we first have to know him who loves us. That means that we first have to have submitted all of our being, all of our life, everything to the Lord so that we can know how to love him back. Because until we give ourselves fully to Jesus, we do not have or possess the ability to love God the way that he is asking us to love him. Amen? And so loving God is impossible without first living through his son, Jesus Christ. This is what the scripture is pointing out. It says, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And you could probably put any word in that place of live. You could say, we. he sent his only son into this world so that we might love through him, so that we might be peaceful through him, so that we might forgive through him. Amen. Because all of those things that he is asking us to do are impossible without him. John chapter 15, I should, you should know this chapter by heart. But Jesus clearly tells us, he says, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. That is, if you remain in me, I will remain in you and you will produce much fruit. Amen. But he goes on further to say, because apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You cannot love God unless you are living through him. Amen. And so loving God cannot happen unless you know this son, Jesus Christ. Loving God is not attainable until we first accept the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. What is that gift? That is Jesus Christ became the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The word atone means to, to, to get it paid for. That means that we owed a debt, but now there was an atonement. There was something that was paid on our behalf so that we no longer have to be under the penalty or the weight of sin, but now we can know the Lord because the penalty was given for us. It's accepting and receiving that Jesus gave his life upon the cross for every deed, every dark thought of wickedness, every deception, everything you know, that the enemy once held against us. He gave it, And he gave his life for the debts that were held against you and me to redeem us ultimately from the penalty that we deserved. To redeem us from the penalty that we deserved. To redeem you from the penalty you deserved. just because you grew up in church doesn't mean that you didn't deserve the penalty too. Amen. Just because you got baptized in water in the Catholic church doesn't mean that you don't deserve the penalty too. I thought I had a Pentecostal church in here tonight that agreed with the word of God. That understands that we were the ones that deserved the penalty. See, when you know that and your heart's connected to that, it automatically results in a powerful reflection of humility and love back towards the Lord. But if you think you've done nothing wrong, then there's nothing for you to receive. See, the gift is for those that understand that they deserve the penalty. The design of the Lord has always been for his creation, for you and me, to live in right relationship with him. This was the design of the Lord since the very beginning. It was never to separate us from God because of our sins. But because of sin, God sent his one and only son to bridge the gap between us and his holiness and his perfection. That's the perfect picture of love. Think about it. To give his best, which is his son, to those who deserve the worst, which is the penalty for our sins. Imagine somebody giving you the best of what they have for the worst of what you are. See, if that doesn't make you tremble before the Lord, then I don't know what will. Imagine a holy, perfect God that knows every faculty of our being every thought that you've ever had, every deed that you've ever done. He's heard every word that we've said, everything that has flown out of our our mouth. He's, He's heard every thought in our mind. Imagine him giving the best for you for all of the worst that you've been and the worst that you've done. And before I go any further tonight, maybe there's somebody in here that's never surrendered your life to Jesus so that you can live through him. You see, there's a big difference between being asked to simply fulfill the commands of, of the Bible and actually being able to do it. Like I said, you can't love him unless you've received him. And over the next couple of weeks, I'll talk to you more about loving him. I'm gonna to talk to you more about that. But before I go any further, I want us to just bow our heads tonight in the presence of the Lord. Because maybe there's somebody in here that's never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've been listening to my voice tonight, and that is that you've tried living through yourself. You've tried living through your ways. You've tried living in a way that, you know, maybe it was because of your action or your strength or, you know, all those things. But you've always... Fall in short. You've always never measured up in some way, and you've remained hopeless. You've remained discouraged. You've remained, you know, tired, and in all your goodness, in all your good deeds, I have to remind you what the scripture says about those things. Isaiah 64 tells us that every work that we have done, every deed that we have done, it's like a filthy rag to God. In other words, it doesn't measure up. It's not pure. It can't come from a pure place. So as much as we might want to try to impress God somehow by the things that we do because we serve in a ministry or, or you know, we, we've done good things and we think that, you know, we're fulfilling and somehow pleasing to God, we cannot even behave good, we cannot love God, we cannot inherit eternal life outside of receiving first the gift of Jesus Christ. The content of that word love, you know, is this. It's given fully and exclusively in the death of Jesus on the cross. I want you to hear me tonight. The content of the word love is given fully and exclusively in the death of Jesus on the cross. And apart from that specific narrative image, that term has no meaning. Think about that. And so the beauty of the gospel is this, is instead of us trying to reach him, God sent his son to reach us. Amen. Amen. God sent his son to reach you. The Holy Spirit tonight is screaming at the heart of somebody. Because he sent his son to reach you. He sent his son to reach me.